Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you, my friend? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. We are in a new office today at Sports Illustrated on the 27th floor, downtown New York City. Nice view of the skyline here. What do you think? Yeah, don't give them too much of the information of where we are. We don't want any angry listeners coming in our door. (laughs) (laughs) We're on the 38th floor on the Upper West Side. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot to talk about, as always. Seems like a really busy time right now in the soccer world. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to start in England, looking at Chelsea Spurs. Uh, LaCelso should have been red. Uh, Jose Mourinho doing his usual complaining uh, about his lot in life. Uh, We'll take a look at Arsenal-Everton and just talk about the fifth-place fight. We're going to move to the European continent where Barcelona moving into first place in La Liga ahead of next Sunday's El Clasico. So we'll talk about that and what's wrong with Real Madrid. Eden Hazard, broken ankle, going to be out for a while. Just a miserable season for him. Uh, Germany, top three holding serve. We'll talk about that. Italy, um, where the, the teams at the top either won or, in the case of Inter Milan, did not play due to coronavirus. I do want to talk about that and what we could be seeing as coronavirus, I think, is hitting a tipping point this week globally. We're actually starting to see um, games canceled in Europe, um, I guess, is elsewhere, too, besides Asia. Uh, we'll talk about UEFA Champions League, looking ahead to some very good matchups this week. Then we'll move to North America, where we'll talk about MLS starting this weekend. Very exciting. CCL, CONCACAF Champions League, with return legs in the round of 16, five MLS teams involved. We're going to talk about my Jermaine Jones story. We're going to talk about your Pedro Gallese story. And we're going to talk a little bit about the summary judgment filings in the U.S. women's national team gender discrimination case against U.S. soccer. But for now, let's go to England and Chelsea 2, Spurs 1, and maybe the worst example of VAR not being used uh, that we've seen in a while. Yeah, I think we've come to a point, Grant, where now we need VAR to use to see VAR. <laughs> it, it's just become such a, a, a joke, really, to be honest. Listen, from day one, we've never questioned, you know, the fact that VAR is needed and, you know, how important it is when it comes to reviewing important information, such as, you know, assisting the referee for really key moments, specifically penalty decisions, handball decisions, offside, of course. And we've seen it across Europe that it's being used well. I mean, the Bundesliga is really a perfect example, um, you know, and other major tournaments. But the Premier League has had such an issue with it. And it's gone at such a tortoise, step-by-step, sort of learn by mistake after mistake after mistake. And as you mentioned, this weekend, we really saw such a terrible call. I mean, Lochelso, that was a clear red card. Stood on the game. I mean, that's the regulations, the rules stipulate that if you stand on with your cleats right showing the leg without even going anywhere near the ball, showing cleats up, you're going to get a red card. And the fact that it wasn't given even after review is is, is kind of ridiculous. So, you know, where do we go from here, right? Uh, and I think it goes back to the argument that we've made from a very long time. I think that it's time to, you know, put the emphasis on assisting, right? The main referee, the main official on the pitch is really the one that should be making the decision. And the best possible way for him to do that is just to have a pitch side monitor and then him just going up to that monitor and just seeing for himself 
what it is. And then clearly the transparency and the quickness of it can be resolved. But at this moment, it's just a joke. Lo actually could have had two red cards in this game, probably should have, but especially the one where he stood on Azpilicueta. Lucky he didn't break his leg. And I just want to reemphasize here that it is the clown car way that the Premier League has decided to use VAR and the way their their people are doing it at Stokely Park, that that's the joke. And it's not VAR, I don't think. And we aren't seeing this type of stuff in other top countries. And you combine that with the English attitude of this is our game, change is awful. Uh, and so that's why you're seeing this uproar. But like, I almost think sometimes that there is like, it's by design that somebody is trying to screw up the management of VAR because they just don't want it. And that's why it's so incompetent in this country. Well, you know, it was really funny taking away from the Premier League a little bit. Uh, there was also a story in the Scottish uh, first division in the Premier League where VAR was used for a reckless foul and it was the wrong decision. And after commenting and asking the officials inside their room, they admitted that they made a mistake because one of the officials just couldn't be bothered to properly check what was going on. So, you know, to your point about just, you know, sort of um, purposely trying to wreck, uh, you know, the technology. Listen, I'm with you. VAR is needed. It's it's important because, bef- bef- because at the end of the day, there's also the argument where people complain about VAR when it's not in your team's favor. Right, but it's the old it's the old chestnut, isn't it? It's like we need this technology. It's just a catch twenty two about people hating it because it detriments their own subjective opinion from their own team, and at the same time taking away the objective neutral decision by the referee. In this case of what happened this weekend, it's just a clear mistake again by the Premier League. And then when you see other decisions being made this season, like hairline fracture offside calls, you know being, you know, goals being taken away that are so important. And then a red card, a clear red card. And as you mentioned, another uh, situation that could have gone to Lo Celso, you know, where do we stand? And the answer is simple. Just simplify the rule. The moment you feel that you need to help the referee, the referee should have a pitch side monitor right there. He can look, takes him 15 seconds. And if he, if, if the ref had done that in this current situation, it would have been a red card. Yeah. Uh, other stories coming out of this, Spurs obviously doesn't have Harry Kane, uh, and Son not there as well. But you know what? I'm getting a little tired of Jose Mourinho acting like he's missing everybody because he's not missing everybody. And there are a lot of teams in Europe. Bayern Munich has a lot of injuries right now. They're doing okay. You know, and every game now, our, our good friend Aaron West got some top content out of Jose after the midweek Champions League game. I love it that Aaron is doing these post-game interviews in Champions League because Marino definitely not in a good mood after losing at home to Leipzig in Champions League. And basically he got Jose to not just to laugh, but to say, uh, I have a gun with no bullets, which is a pretty good quote to get in a, in a post-game quick interview like that. So Aaron West, hats off to you, my friend. Um, and also because Jose then goes into the actual press conference where the writers are and is surly and nasty and basically won't answer questions. So um, we saw uh, over the weekend Jose saying stuff like, I wait until July 1st, you know, because that's when I guess he can go into the transfer window. I mean, like, it, it's it's that bad right now. And, and he 
has done this before, and he would probably argue with you that he needs to do this to take the heat off his players. But come on, man. I mean, listen, the the thing is, the Tottenham conundrum has always been there even before Jose Mourinho. I mean, we said this about Mauricio Pochettino, like the inability for the team to and the franchise to bring in players. But I think the the... It's the same old Mourinho story, you know, the, 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 you know, like you said, um, you know, forcing Mourinho to say I'm a gun without bullets um, is, is just a typical Mourinho comment when it comes to just the lack of creativity. I mean, the, the loss against Leipzig, which is, to me, a perfect example of generational tactics. I mean, yeah. our Leipzig was just clearly smarter, knew where to attack in spaces, capitalized on the errors of Tottenham and on the fact that they didn't have Harry Kane, etc., and and delivered. And it was, you know, it should have been more, to be honest. It should have been more than one nothing. And in this case, uh, Chelsea came to play because that's what Frank Lampard likes to do. He likes to pass. He likes to move the ball forward very quickly, especially as soon as they get closer to the goal. And, you know, Mourinho's you know, incentive, and, and we saw this with Manchester United, is to really just sit back and hope for the counter. And it's reactive. It's very reactive. And and there comes a point where you're just like, well, what's your plan B or plan C? Because that's not the modern game anymore. Look at the leaders of every major European league. They are rethinking their strategies. Even Zinedine Zidane, who by trade could be called uh, a conformist, he's really adapted uh, coming back to Real Madrid, and that's why he's fighting for the league. So Mourinho hasn't really done anything. And to your point, there's in okay, yes, you have key injuries, but you still have Lucas Maura, you still have um, Los Celso, you still have Steve Bergwin, you still have you know um, and Dombele, who's a tremendous player. Harry Winks can move the chains. You still have a lot of talent, so there's no excuses. And at some point, Tottenham fans have to say, you know, we need some more. Here's the reality too: in the last week. Spurs got a gift, a huge gift, because now you can finish in the top five, not just the top four, and qualify for Champions League next year. And yet, I actually feel now, compared to two or three weeks ago, that Tottenham is less likely than then to qualify for next year's Champions League. So I'm saying that I feel worse about them making the top five now than I did then about making the top four. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Manchester United did well this weekend. Arsenal is now climbing up again with Mikel Arteta. Wolves won. Sheffield United still in there. This is a clear competition for fourth and fifth. So by no means (laughs) Tottenham is guaranteed a five spot. And here's a question for you as we move on to Arsenal 3, Everton 2. I like what's happening with both Arsenal and Everton under their new coaches right now. I thought this was a really fun game. And I'm wondering, we saw Man United go into fifth place uh, ahead of Spurs this weekend. Can Arsenal get there? Yeah, they absolutely can. They haven't lost a game in 2020, Grant, since Mikel Arteta has arrived. I tweeted about it straight after this game. It's not perfect. There's still work to do, clearly. But Arteta has finally given Arsenal identity. Arsenal is finally comfortable in its own skin. And that hasn't happened for a long time. And yesterday's game, earlier this season, that could have easily been a loss. Easily yeah. could have been a loss. And now Arteta is saying, you know what? Mistakes are going to happen. Vulnerability is going to happen. Pick yourself up. And you know what he's done? He's created the perfect chemistry between players like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang or Lacazette and academy graduates. 
like you know Sako and Edin Kataya, academy players who understand the culture of Arsenal, and he's created this mix. And it's only taken two months. Granted, it's not perfect. As we saw yesterday, they're still very vulnerable. But they haven't lost a game in 2020, and they're they're only you know they're climbing up that table. So they definitely have a shot, especially as we just discussed that Tottenham is still in the downfall. Yeah, uh, Man United, another team, obviously with a chance to finish top five. Uh, they get the win uh, at home against a not great Watford team. Anthony Marshall with a terrific goal, mm. and and also Bruno Fernandez seems to have been a really good addition to this team. I guess the question for me is, is there going to be any consistency? Well, as we talk about Arteta finally giving Arsenal identity, it looks, honestly, it's amazing how just a a specific player can, can add so much influence to a team. Granted, it was Watford. You know, they're struggling. They're in the bottom three. Um... And no matter how hard they fight, there's still there's a reason why they're in the bottom three, right? But Bruno Fernandez's introduction to this team has added so much. I saw a quote earlier that it's a compa- He's a kind of a, compa- a, a a mix between Paul Scholes and Veron. That that was from Ole, by the way. Yeah. He should not have said that, right? Which is like a seriously ridiculous uh, comparison, but. I see his point. Like he has become very influential in that midfield as little, and that's exactly what Manchester United need, especially in the middle of the park. Now, listen, again, Manchester United is in fifth right now, and we did talk about this before Christmas that we didn't see, you know, any kind of resurgence. But and it takes more than one player to, you know, to make a team great. But I think that when it comes and especially now about Marcus Rashford and his injury, you know, there's still a lot to do. But there's something to be said about the fact that this team needed somebody, somebody to, you know, to just bolt this team up. And even though it was Watford, that's exactly what Bruno Fernandes did. Can it stay in fifth? That's a question. But so far, so good for Manchester United. By the way, wouldn't Paul Scholes be upset with that comparison? Oh, absolutely. Juan Sebastian Verona is pretty bad at United, as I recall. Very, like, high-priced, didn't perform. But I think his point, I think Solskjaer's point was that Varane, you know, had that overwhelming identity personality that kind of encouraged younger players in the team to, Paul Scholes is one of the greatest midfielders that's ever lived. So to even, uh, I think so. Uh, he's rolling his no, eyes. No, no, uh, no. I'm rolling my eyes at the comparison. Oh, no, yeah, I no, think Scholes is fantastic. No, no, exactly, exactly. That's why Bruno Fernandes, that's why we say that the comparison is a little exaggerated. <laughs> but, you know, he's his manager. It's probably adding a little bit of confidence. But, uh, by the way, his penalty was great. He, when he was playing for uh, in Portugal, he... he like he was a penalty taker too. He 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 scored twelve out of the out of the twenty he scored because he was so consistent. But he was really great. And Mason Greenwood, my God, yeah, nice that kid is so good. Eighteen years old. But there's a lot to do, and there's a fight for fifth. But Manchester United are looking good right now. Could someone do their research and find out whether Joseph Martinez or Bruno Fernandez did that little hop before the uh, their penalties <laughs> first? Just who came up with it first? Probably gonna, someone else. Yeah, I don't know the stats, but I do know that Bruno Fernandez was the given. Uh, penalty taker in his previous club and he scored every single one and he had exactly the same technique. <laughs> Joseph um, Joseph has missed, I think. Let's move to Europe uh, on the continent here. And the big story over the weekend, Barcelona going into first place in La Liga, two points ahead of Real Madrid. Barcelona five, Abar nil. Little Messi, four goals. Hadn't scored in a couple of weeks. Had a hat trick by halftime. And this guy's incredible and he's 32. Yeah, it was the longest goal-scoring drought of his career before this game. 
And I think he was there to prove a point. I mean, that hat trick, my God, especially the first two goals, they were just typical messy, just completely like, embarrassing somebody, sending the other one back to kindergarten, <laughs> not making the other one. <laughs> I mean, the police was there very early because there was a murder across every single pitch. And Messi did it over and over again. And it was, uh, I think, his second poker, four goals for Barcelona. I can't remember, but it was a great, great performance. I mean, it was typical Messi. And... You know, due to Real Madrid's loss, you know, Barcelona in a, in a clearer picture now as uh, as El Clasico approaches. And here's the thing, because if you actually the last several weeks, you and I were both in agreement that, oh, you know, if we're going to lean one way, it's going to be Real Madrid to win the league. You know, now I wouldn't say that Barcelona is necessarily changing the narrative that they're over reliant on Messi necessarily. But um, that said, here they are two points ahead. And I do think Real Madrid. What, what's happened in the last couple of weeks is honestly more due to Real Madrid not being good because this game that lost at Levante 1-0, um, just not impressive. And I, 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 part of me wonders is Real Madrid looking ahead to midweek in Champions League against Manchester City. Um, but there were some really subpar or mediocre performances from Real Madrid here and now they find themselves in second place heading into hosting El Clasico. Yeah, I agree. I think the the burden of the Champions League coming back is probably a problem. I mean, Hazard's injury, Oof. again, another fracture to his ankle. Um, this one is damaging now the fact that he w- might not even play the, for the rest of he's, the season. He's lost his season. And, and, you know, that's huge taking him out of now Real Madrid is welcoming Manchester City and then El Clasico after that. And I think I'm with you. And it, it, This is another topic that we've talked about in La Liga this season. It's been a fight for the for the top, but it hasn't been a, a, a sort of, a, you know, um, inspiring fight, right? It's been a low points accumulated kind of fight where Barcelona has not looked good at many times. Right. Hence the Valverde exit. Real Madrid has, has, has not... So is that more because teams below them are playing better at home and try and kind of figuring them out the messy injury sort of halfway through also maybe was an issue just there's so many reasons why you're looking at this league right now and thinking to yourself who is going to be the outcome winner and at this point we did like you said we real madrid looked a favorite but now the tables are changing one thing is for certain you are not seeing two giants in spain right now you're seeing two teams who are benefiting from each other's mistakes. Martin Braithwaite comes to Barcelona last week in what I know you and and I feel is just an absurd rule allowance. They get uh, clearance from La Liga for an emergency transfer outside the window, which has a huge impact negatively on Leganes, which is fighting to stay up. Oh, yeah, we'll sell you our best guy. Um, Why was this allowed? Yeah, so first of all, I'm happy for Martin Braithwaite. He seems very happy to come to a team where he was obviously wanted to play. This is nothing to do against him. I just think this, like you said, like we both we both agree, this rule is just ridiculous. First of all, it's a La Liga rule where, in case there is a serious injury to a key player in your team, meaning at least five months out or more, you are allowed to purchase an emergency transfer they have to be domestic based or a free agent and in this case it was domestic based obviously um you know the club didn't want to sell Braithwaite key player for them so Barcelona just 
pay the release clause. There's nothing that the club can do. And to add insult to injury, they can't buy a replacement. And this is a team uh, that that's in it's in the relegation zone. So you know where is the where where is the sense in all this? And to me, my biggest problem with this rule is that it's actually favoring the richer clubs right. because these are situations where a poorer team is not going to be able to do anything uh, when they lose a key player. But a team like Barcelona, who has so much money, can easily, even if it's a domestic-based player, if they find a player who has a release clause, they can easily take away, which is what happened here. It's ridiculous. Nothing against Braithwaite. It's more to do with the rule itself. I'm not even blaming Barcelona because the rule's there. Like, why wouldn't they? take it and Braithwaite played pretty well in this game coming on uh as a sub ended up assisting Messi on one of his goals um I think he had an assist he was involved he in did. the fifth yeah. one too um here's what another just quick thing here I did a tweet last week on um I think it was Real Madrid was introducing Rainier and just wondering why it is that like whether it's Spain or even Italy, we've seen this like in the Maradona film, you make a signing, a big signing, and then you trot the guy out into the stadium and ask him to do like <laughs> stupid human tricks with the ball. Braithwaite Braith- Braith- didn't start well in this and, one. And Braithwaite was terrible at his. <laughs> at the like, beginning, he was bad. <laughs> he just, was bad. This is the, the, the dark secret here. Like Landon Donovan was asked, I was with him one time and he was asked to do like ball tricks. He can't do any. And so like, he's just like... This has nothing to do with being a soccer player. Yeah, because I swear to God, I would have like easily sent my videos if, if like if that's <laughs> if that's the case. I'm with you. I've always said, by the way, that whenever a player is introduced to a team, they should do two things: either a karaoke song, so they just sing, or stand up. <laughs> like just do something fun. I think that'd be amazing. By the way, Santi Casorla, when he was reintroduced by Villarreal, he came out thanks to a magician. A magician. <laughs> I'd like, rather see that. And that was amazing. So I'm with you. Enough. Make, with him, the, make him jump out of a cake. Uh, I, just forget the ball trick. Listen, That's stupid. Have a karaoke machine, <laughs> and let them sing. I think that'd be amazing. <laughs> oh shoot. Uh, moving on to Germany. Not a lot of news here. Uh, Erling Haaland scored again. Uh, we say that every week. Uh, Dortmund winning on the road at Werder Bremen to nothing. Um, Bayern wins. Uh, Leipzig wins five nil at Schalke, which was just brutal. Um, Leipzig's playing really well right now, by the way. Yeah, I mean, there's not a heck of a lot to say here, except this is this is a good race. As is, as is. You things know? are things are still heating up. Nobody nobody's really you know it's it's a tight tight race. I mean it's probably the, the most exciting in in Europe right now. I would say also if you get a chance read our friend Rafi Honigstein's interview with Thomas Mueller in the Athletic. Really good stuff in there. Mueller talking at length about how things have changed at Bayern since Pep Guardiola left. Um, the word that they always use, and I've always heard in interviews from other players too, is control. That when Guardiola was there, that Bayern had control of games and they just never let it go. Mm. And that control, Mueller said, got lost when other coaches like Ancelotti and Kovac came in. And he feels better now in this interview about what Hansi Flick has done. Now, part of that has involved returning Thomas Mueller into the lineup, and he's been very productive lately. He's in a very good mood, but... Um, really good stuff from Rafi. Um, and, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, a Bayern team that's always a threat to, to win Champions League. We're going to see them against Chelsea midweek here. We can talk about that in a second. Um, let's talk about Italy, though, uh, real quick here. Um, once again, the top 
two teams holding serve. Lazio winning 3-2 at Genoa. Uh, our friend Chiro Mobile has 27 goals now in 25 games. A lot of those are penalties, though, so don't get too crazy. Hey, uh, you're still going to make them in. And then uh, <laughs> Juventus uh, beats Spall. So the third team in that race, Inter Milan, did not end up playing. Their game suspended because of the coronavirus threat, which had a pocket of northern Italy where there's an outbreak there. Um, and I think... I should say right now, my wife is an infectious disease expert, so uh, I've been learning a lot in the last few weeks about coronavirus. She's actually going to have her own podcast out later this week on the coronavirus. Her name's Celine Gounder. Look it up. Um, but this... like she's, he, had, he had to do that, by the way. Otherwise, he was sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> but uh, she's pretty worried uh, right now about the global impact that she really does feel like... Um, this could be a tipping point this week and how the the globe deals with coronavirus and looks at it. Um, she's kind of like, you know, I don't think the Olympics are going to happen. Like she's in that realm. Like, wow. um, so, um, and she's in a job that is not to increase fear and things like that in the public. She's all about facts and she's pretty worried right now. So um, we will see what happens here, especially, Obviously, this is a much bigger deal than sports, but it's going to have and already is having an impact in the sports world. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Champions League games uh, and other games canceled or postponed in the coming weeks, depending on uh, where they are. Um, let's talk about UEFA Champions League, though, because this week we've got four good matchups. Uh, last week I, I felt like we had three, but then Atalanta was so good they might as well have been four. Um Chelsea Bayern, Napoli Barcelona, Real Madrid Manchester City, and Lyon Juventus. Um, I don't want to spend too much time because we're going to get together midweek after these games and talk about them. But which of these stand out the most to you? I mean, listen, obviously the conventional answer would say Real Madrid Man City just because the two giants of of the game and, you know, Zinedine Zidane against Pep Guardiola, Manchester City still has some, you know, wrongs to write on the football field, uh, you know, just taking in mind of everything that's been going on with them, uh, star power-wise, uh, just the idea of seeing, you know, especially that midfield battle uh, should be really interesting with players like Luka Modric against Kevin De Bruyne, Karim Benzema against Manchester City, Sergio Aguero against Sergio Ramos. Like, you know, it's just too much star power to not say that that's going to be a game. But I think that aesthetically Chelsea-Bayern is the game to watch. Mm. I think that's the game where um, I think you're going to see a lot of tactical wisdom and similar play, actually, because both Flick and Frank Lampard are real students of the pass-and-move game, not just from a tiki-taka perspective, but rather, you know, this just will to just want to play the game and go forward, an offensive mind minded sort of strategy from both sides and I think that and then when you bring in you know again just you know Davies and and you know players like Tammy Abraham and now Giroud who's playing well as well I think it's going to be a really interesting game to watch as well especially that it's at Stamford Bridge so we'll see uh, you know the type of Bayern Munich you know they've already shown that they can do the business in the capital beating Tottenham in the group stages and now playing against Chelsea and of course you can't forget about Napoli Barcelona but I think I think to me, 
Chelsea, Bayern, if you're if you're the purist that's looking for good soccer, is the one to watch. But you can't ignore the fact that Real Madrid, Man City will take the eyes of pretty much everybody. I do think Chelsea's under a lot of pressure at home against Bayern Munich because I actually think they could get smacked in this game as Tottenham did at home against Bayern earlier this year. Um, I find myself frustrated for the second straight straight week that a top young American player is injured and won't be able to play in a big Champions League game. Christian Pulisic this week, Tyler Adams last week. <sighs> um, We've talked about it for so long. Pulisic's made of paper, man. Like, I'm sorry, like, he, he is so talented. And he knows he is, and the team knows, fans know he is. I'm not, I don't have a dog in this fight. I think he's great. He's absolutely mesmerizing, coming in from the left, coming inside, just everything that he was giving Chelsea. But the ability to stay healthy has been such an issue, even all the way back at Borussia Dortmund days. And at some point, you have to say, what's happening? Like, you know, we either, you know, reevaluate the way he trains or whatever, but it's just, it's just, it's just too many times. And that's a big problem for the U.S. Yeah, it is. Um, and Napoli-Barcelona, for any of us who... You know, saw the Diego Maradona documentary. Uh, this will be fun because yeah. it's at the San Paolo. Uh, Messi going there. I even saw, I think Maradona already tweeted or put something on his Instagram about this. But um, kind of a cool historical thing to see Messi playing at the San Paolo. Yeah, for sure. Um, and look, Real Madrid, Manchester City, like you said, there's, I don't think it, I can add anything to what you said. That's a game I'm very excited about on Wednesday. Less so for Leon Juventus, but you never know. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, by the way, has scored in 11 straight Italian league games, uh, which is a record. And Passing the great Gabriel Batistuta, which is to say something. And here we are, and right now the two best players in the world are Messi and Ronaldo. Which, you know, is, is as is, right? Yeah, but that's just incredible. These guys have been like the best players in the world for like 12 years now. Yeah, and I, again, I think we, need, we always have to remind ourselves that, you know, it, the, the game is going to be so different once these two retire. Yeah, and uh, one reason they've been the best players in the world for the last 12 years, we were just talking about the ability to avoid serious injury. They've, for the most part, avoided serious injury over the years. Correct. Um, let's go to North America because there's a lot going on here this week. MLS starts this weekend, season 25. Who do we like to win MLS Cup, my friend? Ooh, man, I am so excited for MLS. I'm so excited. I think, you know, removing aside the fact that it's the 25th anniversary, I just think that now the talent that's come in, from Chicharito to Rodolfo Pizarro, Edison Flores, but also just the overwhelming amount of growth throughout the league as a, in coaches and players, to be honest, right? Um, just gets me really excited. I think it's going to be a special, a special time for the league. Um, if you're asking me who's going to win it, I'm going to go with LAFC. I think they've learned their lessons from last season. And I think that, uh, again, last year I said that LAFC would win it. I was wrong. Um, but I think this time around, Carlo Hill and LAFC, they feel more comfortable who they are. I think that they they understand what it takes to get to the playoffs. And now that the playoffs are here, once they get to the playoffs, I think they'll understand the right path to get to it. As long as they stay healthy, I see LAFC winning it. I think they're going to be the best team in the league again. Uh, so I do think they'll win Supporters Shield. And I, I think MLS Cup is tough because it's not the most always accurate reflection of 
season performance, right? Right, look at last year. But I do think, and this is where I, I think it gets interesting, is I think Bob Bradley, the last year especially, but maybe even the year before that, has gotten a bit of a reputation as a guy, almost Bielsa-like, who drives his players really hard, and then at the end of the season, they don't quite perform as well. Mm. Bob, if he was here right now, I'm sure I'll get a text for this, uh, we'll, we'll probably push back against that. But I also think he's a really smart guy. And I think he's a really motivated guy. And I think if they find themselves in a similar position toward the end of the regular season this year that they had last year, he might do a few things differently. And let's not forget something. Diego Rossi already feels good in this league. Carlos Vela is Carlos Vela, of course. Now, Brian Rodriguez is coming into the season who's going to light it up. I'm telling you right now. And this is a team to watch out for. Um, but there are other contenders as well. I mean, I really think that not enough is being said about Edison Flores. I know that I'm Peruvian, but this kid can play. And I think what DC United is building right now, now with the Gressels, I mean, Paul Arriola's injury was a major problem. Yeah. But I think that they're building something really interesting in the East. So, you know, time will tell. But I, regardless, overall, like you said, sometimes the MLS Cup finalists are not really a true reflection of what the season has been, as we saw last year. I mean, not, not to take anything away uh, from Toronto or Seattle. Uh, but I think that this time around, the LAFC will, will reach there and, and they'll win it. For any of you service message here who want to watch MLS uh, this year, here's how you can do it. Uh, there's basically three channels have that are part of the national deal, ESPN, Fox Sports in English, Univision in Spanish. A lot of those Univision national games are also on Twitter, if I recall correctly. Yep. Uh, and then out-of-market games you can get on ESPN+. Plus one of the few added paywalls out there that I think is actually worth it. Uh, it's a I lot. think it's the best one. Yeah, it's like five bucks a month. Uh, so uh, you can see a lot of MLS games if you want to. I always look forward at the start of the season to watching every team play and just getting a sense of who, oh, who's in their lineup and, and how are they going to play and what's new. And, and there's a lot of teams now. It's 26 teams this year with Nashville and Inter-Miami coming in. But there's just uh, a lot to look forward to, I think. And, you know, just selfishly, there's a Latin American flavor that's just just sort of permeates around the entire league. And that just gets me very excited. I think it's it's a good time. Uh, also, midweek, some huge CONCACAF Champions League games. Uh, round of 16, second leg. And the five MLS teams, they're all still in it here. In fact, I would argue that... Four of the five MLS teams are pretty well poised to advance after going on the road in, in week one. And the one MLS team that is has a high hill to climb here is LAFC, the best team in the league, uh, which got the toughest draw of the round of 16. Leon from Mexico losing 2 nothing in the opening leg. Late goal made it difficult, I think, for him there. But I certainly think it's possible for LAFC to make up this two-goal difference at home. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Banca California Stadium is going to be really up for this game and a two goal deficit is nothing. I think I think they can do it. I think I granted as you said I think Leon is a very good team. This is a team that's playing pretty well in Liga MX, but I think coming to uh, LA is is going to be you know a totally different ball game and I think LAFC will be up for it. By the way, special mention to uh, Ronnie Dela and NYCFC. They are fun. Ronnie Dela is known for playing this rock and roll type of soccer, and that's exactly what you got in this championship. 5-3 at Amazing. San Carlos. 5-3, Haber scored a hat-trick, who I think as well is going to be a contender for Golden Boot. 
uh, if he stays healthy. Uh, the moment NYCFC has the ball in the final third, you have like eight players in the box just all wanting to score. Mitrita is playing well. I think Medina is going to probably be more of an influence this season. They're one to watch for. Obviously, the problem with NYCFC has been just feeling at home, right? Yankee Stadium has never truly felt, you know, this place well, where now they're going to be a home. Red Buller. Then they're going to be a Red Bull. <laughs> and to make it worse, CONCACAF Champions League second leg will be a Red Bull Arena, which is saying something. I know that, you know, we've spoken a lot to that board and we know a lot about that club, even in the Domitorrent days <clears throat> and even before that in the Jason Crisis. And they've always, that's been a really main target for them to build a stadium. It's not easy, of course, in terms of this city, but, you know, um, I think NYCFC is going to be really fun to watch. Maybe the biggest surprise result last week in the first legs was Montreal 2-2 at Saprissa. I have been in that stadium over the years, and that is a difficult place for away teams to do anything. Really difficult environment and atmosphere. And Montreal went up 2-0 and held on for 2-2. Very quick start for Thierry Henry's team. Um, and everybody got excited on Twitter saying, wow, Thierry Henry's team. But um, like you said, you know, Saprissa playing at home is not an, you know, playing away at Saprissa is not an easy thing to do. And taking in mind that this is Thierry Henry's first stint at MLS, obviously he's still getting used to his players. But this was a good result. I mean, to just get two goals, obviously conceding two, to, to make it a, a a draw in the end is not th what he wanted, but there's a lot of promise here. And you could see that offensively, Montreal's going to be way different than we've seen in the past few years. Atlanta won one against Motagua. Atlanta will be at home this week. You'd have to think they have the advantage there. Seattle 2-2 against Olympia. Another one where the MLS team went ahead, ended up coming away with a tie. But these aren't bad results. And, you know, it's not like you know, there's only one matchup here that is MLS against Liga MX. That's LAFC against Leon. And I'll tell you what, it's possible that all five MLS teams could get through here and have five of the eight quarter finalists, which I think would be a real statement. Now, I think LAFC's got a lot on their plate to, to make that happen. I think it's more likely that we see four MLS teams. But if MLS has four of the final eight, not bad. Absolutely. Listen, I know that you always say it's not like you should never call it as an excuse to not do really well for an MLS team to to do on this in this tournament but it, honestly there is a major difference when you're literally still in preseason and you have to throw yourself into this Champions League he's like, I know he's rolling his eyes no mass excuses <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit more sensitive to MLS teams but I agree I think it would be to have four teams in the quarterfinals would be great uh I want to talk about a couple of stories that you and I did in the past week. Uh, I wrote my story on Jermaine Jones. It came out Friday, about 4,000 words. This was not a story. This was a, <laughs> this was a soap opera times a movie times a documentary times with, with a all reality respect, show. With all due respect, Luis. I don't know. <laughs> Jermaine Jones, by the way, if you're listening, what a fantastic story. But I don't think you know the concept of with all due respect. <laughs> Um, my friend uh, Pablo Maurer from The Athletic uh, sent me a video from YouTube of uh, Ricky Bobby. Uh, there's a scene when he uh, says, with all due respect, and he like claims that that allows you then to say whatever you want, yeah, even it, to your boss. It's the other equivalent of no offense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No offense, but you're an idiot. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> with all due respect. With all due respect. By the way, we're talking about the quote where Jermaine Jones says, is criticizing uh, Bruce Arena. With all due respect, the worst coach I've ever had. <laughs> Where's the respect in that sentence? <laughs> 
I mean, listen, I loved it. I thought, what a great piece. What a great piece. You got everything and anything out of that man. And uh, he has a lot to say. And, the, and, you know, he's earned his right to say it, I guess. Well, there was there was a lot to talk about in the story because um, essentially there was some pretty uh, unvarnished opinions from James, Jermaine Jones on American soccer, on MLS, on Bruce Arena and the national team, uh, past and present. Uh, but there's also a story to tell about sort of his own American dream and coming to L.A. with his family and, and uh, you know, four kids with his wife. And, and after 16 years, they've recently split up and there was a lot of stuff in TMZ. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of all of that, uh, but also how he wants to be a coach, how he's gotten his UEFA A license. And I think the question now is, will, will he get hired uh, and... Uh, that will be an interesting question to see if, like, this story helps him or hurts him. Um, well, he'll sell tickets. I'll I, tell you that. I'll so, tell you. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, like, but, like, I didn't even know in writing this story how Jermaine would react to it. You know, I thought he, he might have, his, you know, response might have been, I can't believe you talked to my ex-wife, which is journalism. But uh, actually, I think he loved it. Like, he went on his Instagram and did a He Instagram quoted book. our Insta story. Yeah. Yeah. So no, he's all about it. He's all about it. Listen, my my favorite part is that he's dating Naya Rivera, <laughs> former Glee actor. I love it. Me and Meg Linehan were like, "What? That's amazing." <laughs> <laughs> we also got former Baywatch actor David Charvet in there, who Jermaine claims uh, broke up his marriage. See, I told you this is just the best. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> so he had a very good story on Peter Gallese, uh, goalkeeper, oh, Peruvian national. My story's team. Bible quotes compared to. Oh what come you did. on! <laughs> I enjoyed this story. I did. He can have a big impact on Orlando. No, he's good. Listen, I think he comes into MLS as, uh, to me, the best goalkeeper in the league. Um, the only one that uh, so far currently who, who's gone, who went to the World Cup. Um, he's got more than 70 appearances for Peru. And if you don't know Pedro Galese, you need to know that this man is, to me, the most underrated goalkeeper in the world. He's never played in Europe. He's never really been looked at by anybody in Europe. And he's gone to the World Cup. He's a Copa America finalist. He helped Peru reach the World Cup for the first time in 36 years. And if you watch his highlight reel, he does some saves that I just think are beyond comprehensible. And he just gave a very honest conversation about what it's like for him, his journey. And, you know, just he really is such a focused person. He just, all he wants is to help Orlando uh, reach the playoffs for the first time ever because they've never done it. And even though he's a goalkeeper, I think his personality and his aura and who he is and what he represents will be a big influence on this very international Orlando City, by the way. It's very, you know, we'll talk a lot about the big teams right now, but Orlando City has made some moves that are very intriguing to me. And it's going to be very interesting to see what Oscar Pareja, a very good manager, That's a good choice. Does, does with Orlando City. Yeah, because they really do need to make the playoffs this year because yeah. the, the bloom has sort of uh, worn off in terms of with their fan base, which came out guns a-blazing and, and they have a great stadium, but they're tired of losing, as they should be. Yeah. Uh, you gotta, that, yeah, help me out on one thing here. Yeah, I will defer to you. Yeah, why is the double L Galese and not Galese? I don't know. It's just been him. It's like Daniel Passarella yeah, in yeah, Argentina. It's I just guess. been him. I I started calling him Pedro Galese, but then I realized actually no, it's Galese. Really? Yeah. Um, but you know, hey, I'll, whatever he wants, I'll. Yeah, I'll, man. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Um, but no, very excited. Um, and then yeah, I have a piece on Inter Miami coming out later this week. Uh, that should cool. be good. So, and I know you have another piece coming as well. We, ha we have a lot of, by the way, Planet Football, I'm very proud of the work we've done leading up to uh, 
to MLS. Our, our head editor, Avi Creditor, Brian Strauss, joining us again. Uh, we've done a lot of really good stuff. I think I hope everybody reads it. Yeah, a couple more stories coming out this week ahead of the season kickoff. I also want to get into summary judgment filings uh, came out last week on the deadline day in the U.S. Women's National Team gender discrimination case against U.S. soccer. Uh, U.S. Women's National Team wants $66 million from U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer just wants the judge to dismiss the case. Michael McCann, who's our terrific legal expert, has an article that you should check out here because it's terrific legal analysis again on all of this. And what I came away from reading his story is he thinks it's very unlikely that either side will get what they want here in this summary judgment filing that he thinks it's unlikely that U.S. soccer will get the case dismissed. He also thinks it's very unlikely that without any sort of jury trial, the judge will just say, yeah, $66 million, go ahead, we'll give that to the U.S. women's national team. Yeah, I think they're both very high-ceiling demands from each side. There's no way U.S. soccer is going to get this whole thing dismissed. That's just not going to happen. And I don't think that the $66 million is a realistic number Correct. For, for, for the women's team to get. So like like our MVP, Michael McCann, says, I think that there's going to be just a, an agreement at some point that, that should make somebody happy unless the ball might be more on the U.S. women's soccer side and have more leverage of what they want. Because I don't think $66 million is what they're going to get. Well, the $66 million is an interesting figure because that's what the U.S. women's national team players are saying they would have earned under the U.S. men's team paying structure. Uh, but you have to remember, that includes they've won the last two World Cups. So they're saying, well, if we had won the men's World Cup, we would have had a right to this money from U.S. soccer. But almost all of that money you get for winning the World Cup on the men's side or the women's side is from FIFA, not from U.S. soccer. So right. I can understand if you're U.S. soccer saying, well, why should we have to cover what FIFA is deciding on prize money? The reason I think this $66 million figure is here is because then if they have a settlement, which I think is still very, very likely, and this won't go to trial, that they feel like the $60 million, $66 million figure is at the high end and they want something in between that and what U.S. soccer may want to give them. Yeah. I will make a prediction right now and say I think this gets settled. I think it gets settled for 20 to $30 million. Yep, I agree. I think it's about that. I think they reach a certain high ceiling. And they're not going to get that. And I think it'll settle to something that they'll agree to because there is no way in this planet <laughs> that the judge is going to just completely dismiss this. So um, the other thing that sticks out to me, by the way, mm. is um, some of the, the interviews from the lawyers by U.S. soccer to players like Carly Lloyd are kind of insane if you read them and kind of depressing if you read them because part of U.S. soccer's approach legally here appears to be their lawyers asking U.S. women's players if they could beat the U.S. men's team, which is like the lowest bad faith common denominator thing. Like, you know, there's this like meme that we've seen where there was this really lame CBS sports article that had something about like the FC Dallas youth team beating the U.S. women's national team in a scrimmage. And there's this whole pack of MAGA guys out there who, whenever the U.S. women come up, will think they're owning the libs by putting, like, posting that story, 
which is obviously ludicrous and insulting and so many things. But to see U.S. Soccer Federation lawyers start with, with that crap really ticks me off. It's really ridiculous. I mean, it's beyond laughable now. What can you do? Uh, and that's never going to go away, unfortunately. But like you said, the problem is when the the own U.S. Soccer Federation is, is pulling the same stunts. Yeah. And I don't care if they think that actually has some sort of legal precedent. It's crappy. It's just really crappy. Yeah. It doesn't, it, I don't think it's going to help them in the end. Got me worked up again. This happens yeah. at least once a week now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an angry guy, guys. Just don't He really me. isn't. But, he really uh, isn't. But I do feel strongly about this. Yeah, of course you should. Absolutely. Um, that is it. But I want to remind everyone that uh, as we did last week, we're actually going to be, you and me, talking midweek on the podcast coming out Thursday at the top of that podcast about the Wednesday and Tuesday Champions League games, which is a lot of fun. So tune in. We'll also have an interview, as we always do on Thursday. But uh, this is always my favorite part of the week, actually, is having this podcast recorded with you. It is mine, too, my friend. Me, you, our producer, Harry, just having a good time in our new podcast studio. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.